Abolition. Abolition. I think these civil rights leaders are nothing more than racist. They're keeping their neighborhoods and their their African-American brothers enslaved, if you will, by continuing to let them think that they're, or force them to think that they're well, victims, that way. the whole system is against them. Articulate it better, Sean. It's so sad to me. We can't even say you're articulate. We can't even well, give you guys compliments. Half of the kids in this country under five years old are minorities. White people are having fewer. Put it bluntly, we need more babies. I dealt with people like this for 20 years. They will get up every day, they will kill somebody and go have some chicken at KFC. Crime is, and, and out of wedlock birth, uh, black folks having babies not being married and stuff like that is out of control. And it's not because they lack material things, but because not all, not all, not all, right. but most of them lack more character. Look right. what they did to the dome in three days they turned the dome into a ghetto. The reason that he's considered such a big deal is simply because he's black. He is a, a, a black candidate surrounding himself with a lot of white advisors. He represents some sort of hope of bringing us all together anyway. And again, I think the only reason that looks plausible is because we see something about his being brown that creates that. It's almost like he's mammy. It relates to the Kramer in this. Kramer used the N-word repeatedly. Does that, does that bother you? It, it, no, that doesn't bother me. Black folks, especially racist blacks, have the freedom of expression when it comes to the issue of race and morality. But white folks are, uh, are made to be quiet. They always love having you. Appreciate it. Proud thank to be you. on your board at Bond. Thank you. New information has recently come to light regarding the Trinity Unity Church in Chicago. And that's the one that Senator Barack Obama calls home. What they have at this church on their website is, you know, commitment to the black community, commitment to the black family, adherence yeah. to the black work ethic. Is it racist, Jesse? It, it, it is absolutely racist. Are they worshiping Christ? Are they worshiping uh, well, Af African things black? Barack Obama is associated with a racist church. They really are uh, quite cultish, quite separatist. Mr. Rush, Sam Combs, you, I have a question. Are you questioning Barack Obama's Christianity? Yeah. Recent police shootings involving African-American victims across the U.S. has led to a string of angry protests from outraged black community members. Most police officers are good, honest, hardworking men and women. But there is a culture of police officers out run. there that represent a legalized James, we got to run. And we need to recognize it and do it. If there's any national it. disgrace, it's your rush to judgment in this particular case and your use of racial politics for your own aggrandizement. That is the national disgrace. The national disgrace. Welcome to the uh, United States of corporate motherfucking America. Denson. Smith Barney. Merrill Lynch. Bristol Moss. Maytag. They declared a war on drugs. My nigga, they declared war on us. Drug offenders mean more prisoners. And more prisoners mean more prisons built. More wood, more concrete and iron. More trucks, more gas, more hind. Framers, plumbers, electricians. Consultants, advisors, technicians. More guards, more guns. Pass more laws to lock up more niggas and that's more funds. 
Now they gotta hire more ones. More handcuffs, silly clubs, and stun guns. See, more calls, more CBs, and sirens. Most drug offenders is nonviolent. It's all corporate. The state ain't the owner. This bridge is brought to you by Tom Warner. Reverse agreement with the United States in right. terms of what they export and where it comes from. But the mere fact that they say that the, the tariff um, act of 1930 has said that we're not allowed to accept prison labor produced goods, you know, um, imported into the country, means it should mean that you don't think it's right. And if you don't think it's right, then you need to look in your own backyard and see what yeah, you're doing. Somebody got to drive the buses out to the sticks. Somebody got to make the ink for fingerprints. So these companies, they donate to candidates. Cash for the ones that's tough on crime in their state. More arrests equal more votes. Pass more laws that hurt more Latin, black, and poor folk. Then cut money for education so they can spend more on incarceration. The company that feds your kids at lunchtime now Feed them when they grown, locked on the child line About a half a mil in jail for drug charges It was only 50 down before Reagan took office Then he sold guns for dope to the Contras And crack rock exploded in Oakland and Compton Mona gets locked up as expected This prison's brought to you by General Electric It just seems like they're, they're taking advantage because The mere fact that they don't have overhead in terms of insurance and workers' comp and all these other things. You're having, you're getting all these benefits as a result of having the labor. Um, and if you want to say, okay, well, we're training them, we're giving them a skill, we're giving back, it would be one thing. But if you're paying someone 17 cents an hour, that is heinous. It's to come up a new slave workforce. Just lock these niggas up and make them work for us. And they like to rap about it. That'll work for us. Market them niggas helping slave a new workforce. Dope and guns, guns and dope. Keep them high, no hope, bro. And in and out of code, it's all profit. From the dope to the locksmith. Machine so big, Jesus Christ couldn't stop it. It's a parable. See the Pharaoh, the president. If Jesus came back, they label him a terrorist. I ain't religious, but I read the scriptures. From what I read, Jesus would have been banging for us niggas in that safe. And all poor folk on the struggle, they can lock me up. But the Lord forgive me for the hustle, cause... Niggas just on some feed, they kill shit. Living in the system brought to you by big business. Once you change your philosophy, you change your thought pattern. Once you change your thought pattern, you change your, your attitude. Once you change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. Abolition. 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 You just heard the Tropezilla mix of Fox News clips followed by the prison industrial complex by Chase Skizza. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. And Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, my name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, fam. It's all profit from the dope to the locksmith. I'm here at uh, Man, listen, listen. <laughs> I, I, I listen to that. Every week before this show, that song just gets me so hyped. That and the, you know, the Thirteenth Amendment cipher by yeah. Dennis and crew. Both of those songs just get me super hyped coming into the show, and I needed, you know, a little extra boost this week. 
So me too. Max, last week, yeah. So last week we discussed uh, the Senate committee testimonies in multiple states on bills to end slavery that have happened over the past few weeks, and we also had some testimony by you and I and others in support of uh, NJ ACR one four five. So Max, before we really get into it, I want us and our listeners to think about what's the most dangerous thing in the world. Take a second to think about that. I mean, you already know the answer to it, but I want everybody to just think about that for one second. Okay, so uh, I want to read a quote, and the quote, I believe, just lays it out. And it's by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and it comes from a speech he had given in 1963 called Strength of Love. And he said, nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. <laughs> What do you think about that, Max? Dude, that'd be sticking in my head for years now because he's right. Like, you know, sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And that's what they think they got. Uh, like you heard in the opening clip with actual black people talking that crazy talk, uh, talking about, you know, they'll kill somebody today and then go eat at KFC. Right. So... You know, we want to directly address these uh, pro-slavery, anti-black arguments. You know, the complete denial, the logical fallacies, the stereotypes and tropes, the arguments of the past and the present, because they are one and the same, and we'll break it down to expose the insanity of the slaver class and their puppet minions. And as always, we'll have music, poetry, a master class on modern constitutional slavery abolition, updates on the national movement, and we'll bring the ancestors' words to life without bridging the gap segment. So before we get into all of that, tell us about your week, Max. <laughs> I always got something happening, right? I got my yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah. Got my COVID shot. Me and Tribal got that. Uh-oh. Um, and, you know, we've been doing a lot of work with the Abolish Slavery National Network. We've been uh, having think tanks on particular subjects and topics, one of them being what we're discussing today. And uh, in a couple of days, I'll be meeting with Senator Cecil Thomas out in Ohio. Uh, they just released their bill just a few days ago uh, to end slavery in Ohio. Uh, they resubmitted it. And he and I and a few others are going to have a conversation about how we're going to manage that case. And then uh, the next day, I'll be talking with Professor Joy James, uh, courtesy of Brother Sean Darling. Uh, Sean Darling be hooking me up with some people, man. Right. But, uh, Professor, right. Professor Joy James out in Brown University is uh, a scholar and author and has talked a lot about abolition, uh, and she wants to be involved. So we're going to have that conversation and see what we can do from there. It's important that the intellectuals, the teachers, start getting proper of what's going on so that they in turn can teach it rather than perpetuate their lies. Absolutely. So – we got a we got a doozy tonight, and I'm looking at the time, and we we just have so much that we're trying to get into tonight's program. So I think we should just jump right into it. You want to lead us into our first series of tracks that we want to play and discuss? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Uh, what I found, you know, I, I want to figure out the best way to present these questions, and I know these questions aren't new. They've been, at, they, I mean, the same arguments keep getting applied for the past few hundred years. It's always the same argument. So I figure let's go with the arguments of the past, and then we'll show how they're being applied in the present. And so what we've got is 10 reasons not to abolish slavery, and that comes from the Mises 
daily articles. And uh, the author is the author is Robert Higgs. So let's start with number mm-hmm. one from Ten Reasons Not to Abolish Slavery by Robert Higgs. It's only a short clip. We'll be right back. Slavery existed for thousands of years in all sorts of societies and all parts of the world. To imagine human social life without it required an extraordinary effort. Yet from time to time eccentrics emerged to oppose it, most of them arguing that slavery is a moral monstrosity and therefore people should get rid of it. Such advocates generally elicited reactions ranging from gentle amusement to harsh scorn and even violent assault. When people bothered to give reasons for opposing the proposed abolition, they advanced various ideas. Here are ten such ideas I have encountered in my reading. 1. Slavery is natural. People differ and we must expect that those who are superior in a certain way, for example in intelligence, morality, knowledge, technological prowess or capacity for fighting, will make themselves the masters of those who are inferior in this regard. Abraham Lincoln expressed this idea in one of his famous 1858 debates with Senator Stephen Douglas. There is a physical difference between the white and black races, which I believe will forever forbid the two races living together on terms of social and political equality. And inasmuch as they cannot so live, while they do remain together there must be the position of superior and inferior. And I, as much as any other man, am in favour of having the superior position assigned to the white race. And that was so, number one on his list. Slavery is natural. That was short. <laughs> they get shorter. It's real simple stuff. But, you know, what did he say? That slavery is natural. And one thing that stood out is in his description before he got into the number one, he was saying some eccentrics uh, wanted to stand against slavery. So the people that are abolitionists are actually eccentrics because his ideas was that slavery existed thousands of years. And that's a huge mistake a lot of people mistake uh, make is by associating U.S. chattel slavery with traditional slavery all across the globe. These are two very different creatures in many, many ways. Yusuf? Yeah, I was just looking at the, the same thing. You know, it's like, oh, since it's always been practiced and, you know, it's, it's really no big deal, we should just ignore that it's going on because, oh, every society has had it. Right, and and that's part of the reasoning. So the guy who's giving us the reasons not to abolish slavery and trying to make them sound like, you know, which they are, they're pretty stupid reasons, he himself doesn't have a full grasp of the subject at all. Uh, you know, in slavery in other countries, like, like let's take the, the Hebrews, for instance, right? They were enslaved according to the gospel. Uh, Egypt had enslaved them. They had laws where you could only be seven years a slave. Your children couldn't be right. born in a slave uh, as a slave. Nobody right. was born into slavery like that. And other nations where conquest, uh, they took people as slaves. What happened to those people? They incorporated them into their society. Uh, the children, again, were not born as slaves. They might have been born in a lower class, but they were not born as slaves. This thing where you right. live, breathe, die, birth slaves like a freaking slavery uh, mass producing machine is specifically European in design and very much done right here in the United States. And uh, the other thing is when he finally got to number one, 
talking about, you know, basically it's white supremacy, that slavery is natural, that anybody who's superior has to take care of the one who is inferior. So you create an inferior slash superiority complex, and then that creates the energy that you need. And it's so superficial. Uh, you know, in our cases, it's a matter of skin color. <laughs> you know, we, we share 99.9% right. of genetic makeup. Uh, most people, other than their skin color, if you held uh, something in front of their face, you probably couldn't identify them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So mostly recognition comes from your face. Uh, and right. we, you know, turn people into property and dehumanize them over the color of their skin. And uh, I'm glad he pointed out Lincoln and Douglas because Lincoln was always kissing Douglas's ass. Like every time I read about him, he's like, yeah, Douglas, you ain't got to worry about us. We ain't going to hurt your slavery. You you all good, Douglas. You're my friend today. We're going to be friends tomorrow. Lincoln was one right. of the early racist white supremacists and admittedly so. So I really get irked when I see like the photos or the statue of him with the black man at his feet uh, and chains just being open as if, you know, God just freed him. Uh, that's not right. what happened at all. It was really, you know, I, I don't want to get into the story of the 13th Amendment too deeply or, or Lincoln, but Lincoln was, certainly was not pro-black. You said? You hit it on the head, and as we always state, you know, the the uh, the, great, the the most racist monument ever erected was the 13th Amendment. Right, Brother S.J. said that from Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. Right. That yep, and he is absolutely right. The most racist monument ever erected is the Thirteenth Amendment, and it's been around for 156 years now. You know, we're going to go through ten of these uh, throughout the first hour. We're going to try to, and if you want to chime in, our number is five one five six zero five nine eight one four five one five six zero five nine eight one four. Remember to press the number one on your keypad so that we know you have something to say. All right, let's go into number two, Yusuf. Okay. 2. Slavery has always existed. This reason exemplifies the logical fallacy argumentum ad antiquitatum, the argument to antiquity or tradition. Nevertheless, it often persuaded people, especially those of a conservative bent. Even non-conservatives might give it weight on the quasi-Hayekian ground that although we do not understand why a social institution persists, its persistence may nonetheless be well-grounded in a logic we have yet to understand. All right, and that was number two, argument to, to tradition. This is the way it's always been. You Negroes ain't never complained before. Why are you complaining all of a sudden now? Right, <laughs> you know, we've right. always done it this way. Uh, you know, so we heard that in Tennessee recently with one of the senators that voted no to end slavery in Tennessee. Uh, you know, uh, he was saying, well, uh, the Constitution is sacred, and I don't think we should be going around muddling with it and adding stuff, you know, to it because it's a sacred document. Like, it's always been that way. We don't need to change it now. It's a ridiculous uh, logical fallacy, and it's important, I think, that everybody learn a few logical fallacies so that they understand them. Uh, you might not know them all because there's like a couple hundred of them, but there are maybe ten that just about everybody uses. And if you memorize those, they change your life. Not only will you recognize when somebody feeding you loads of crap, but you also, also won't in, unintentionally be doing that yourself. You won't be using logical fallacies. So if you don't know anything about logical fallacies, uh, just Google it and look at the top 10 and try to memorize those. Yusuf? 
Yeah, there's just so so many of them, and we talk about them all the time. You know, you and I, we discuss them because you can hear them. As you start learning the logical fallacies, you actually hear them. You know, one that we're going to hear coming up very shortly that we're going to discuss when we start talking about uh, fallacy of the average. That's like one of the most common ones, and we'll deal with that one further when it comes up. But many have probably heard of like a red herring fallacy. You mm-hmm. know, or a straw man fallacy. You know, ad these types, these these are things. Yeah, the ad hominem is probably the most common one, where mm-hmm. you attack the person. Since you can't attack the the subject, you have to attack them. And there are just so many. And as you start learning these logical fallacies, you'll start seeing that what's coming out of people's mouths is, is a bunch of BS. Yeah, a logical fallacy destroys the legitimacy of your argument, basically. So once you put one of them on the table, your argument is no longer valid. But if you allow people to continue talking, they just stack one on top of the other on top of the other. Uh, we had that happen in live from the plantation just last week or uh, Thursday when uh, a couple of plants, I, I, I think they were plants, came in to uh, mm-hmm. challenge the slavery abolitionist argument. And uh, the new let the brother speak, and he just kept piling on fallacy on top of tropes, on top of stereotypes, types, on top of another fallacy. And by the time he was done, he had like tw- 10 or 12 of them he had already uttered. And you're like, wow, where do I even begin? <laughs> you know? Yeah. We'll be, we'll be you, nice if he calls in tonight. Uh, well, not, for somebody. not so much to give them the platform, but, you know, so they can hear it live. The people can hear it live. They say, now that we've said, okay, you hear a bunch of logical fallacies, they'll literally hear it coming out of the person's mouth, and we'll point it out to them, and we'll also correct where they're wrong. Yeah, that sounds like he should be paying us extra. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and get into uh, number three for 10 Reasons Not to Abolish Slavery by Robert Higgs. All right, be right back. Okay. Three, every society on earth has slavery. The unspoken corollary is that every society must have slavery. The pervasiveness of an institution seems to many people to constitute compelling proof of its necessity. Perhaps, as one variant maintains, every society has slavery because certain kinds of work are so difficult or degrading that no free person will do them, and therefore unless we have slaves to do these jobs, they will not get done. Someone, as the saying went in the Old South, has to be the mudsill, and free people will not tolerate serving in this capacity. Argumentum ad populum. That's what I have to say to that one, Max. Exactly. You're you're right on point. That's it right there. Another fallacy, logical fallacy being presented as a legitimate argument against ending slavery. Every society had slavery which means every society must have slavery, right? And then you can right. hear the echoes of today's arguments, particularly with using immigrants to work in the farming industry and paying them like a dollar a day or $2 or five, whatever it is they're making is p- pitiful pennies that they're making for the labor that they're doing. Like, well, nobody else will do it. So you need somebody who's a slave to do it because no reasonable person is going to clean that toilet. No average person is going to want to do this hard manual labor. The problem is they don't want to pay for the labor. They want it free. And so uh, they force people into bondage bondage or perpetual bondage 
or, or uh, peonage in order to get this done. Excuse me. Right. Yeah, we can go into uh, number four. All right. You want to do the honors? Yeah, because the time is just rolling over. I don't know where the time is going. Uh, number four, uh, from 10 Reasons Not to Abolish Slavery by Robert Higgs. Here we go. Four, the slaves are not capable of taking care of themselves. This idea was popular in the United States in the late 18th and early 19th centuries among people such as George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, who regarded slavery as morally reprehensible, yet continued to hold slaves and to obtain personal services from them and income from the products these servants, as they preferred to call them, were compelled to produce. It would be cruel to set free people who would then, at best, fall into destitution and suffering. Number four, there you have it. Oh my goodness. Genetic fallacy? Um, fallacy I, I of origins? Somewhere along those lines, saying that uh, that slaves, because now they're a whole new species of human beings, they're no longer Africans, they're slaves, right? Because in Africa, they right. had a country that was operating, they were living free, they had economies, they had everything that society and culture would have, but the minute you stole their ass off their land and brought them to yours, they're now something else, slaves, who are not capable of self-care. And uh, Washington and Je- Jefferson both promoted that idea, and they even um, justified their actions by saying it would be cruel to let these uh, unthinking beasts out into society when they can't even change their own shoes. They don't know how to talk. They can't read and can't write. That must mean something, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it would be cruel to let them out there and, and uh, be free in the world. You know, we hear similar arguments in uh, whenever we hear about the the black-on-black crime, right? They'll mm-hmm. say to us, you know, if we really wanted to destroy your community like you're telling us we're doing, we would simply pull all the cops out of your community and let you kill yourselves. It's the exact same uh, argument. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not the capable same argument. of governing ourselves. <laughs> and, and, I, and I wanted to have that clip available. The opening to the track is called uh, Police State by uh, Dead Presidents because uh, – as, as Kwame Ture is speaking in the opening, you know, and he says, uh, hold on, I'm looking for it in my notes. I thought I posted it in my notes, and it just disappeared on me. Give me one second. If I don't find it in two seconds, then we'll just move on from that. So he says, uh, so he's breaking down the police state. The state is the organized bureaucracy, it's the police department, the army, the navy, the prison system, the courts, and what have you. And then the pushback was, well, uh, you know, you've got the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. (laughs) He says it right in the introduction to the song, and so uh, you just touched on it heavily. And I just wanted to throw out there, because a lot of times when – the back and forth goes, we hear people say, uh, I'm entitled to my opinion, or I have a right to my opinion, or let's just agree to disagree. These are all logical fallacies as well, because when a person is trying to uh, combat something, like it has to be based in factual information. 
just by saying, oh, I have my opinion, or let's disagree to disagree, that doesn't just automatically make it true just because it's your opinion. Your opinion can be absolutely false if it doesn't, if it's not supported by facts and evidence. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, there's a there's a quote uh, from Harlan Ellison that says, "You are not entitled to your opinion. You are entitled mm. to your informed opinion. No one is entitled to be ignorant. Mm. It's really just that simple. Uh, you can spout anything and call it an opinion. So when we get people like we heard in the opening clip with Fox News." Uh, bigots getting up here saying these things They call that an opinion And they legitimize it as such When it's not an opinion at all It's what's left over after you've used the bathroom Too many times without wiping That That's you know <laughs> nasty But that is what it is it, it's, it pulled it out of nowhere Alright let's go ahead and get to the next one I think we're on number 6 right I believe it's number 5 Number 5 let's check All right, Number 5 5 Without masters, the slaves will die off. This idea is the preceding one pushed to its extreme. Even after slavery was abolished in the United States in 1865, many people continued to voice this idea. Northern journalists travelling in the South immediately after the war reported that, indeed, the blacks were in a process of becoming extinct because of their high death rate, low birth rate and miserable economic condition. Sad but true, some observers declared, the freed people really were too incompetent, lazy or immoral to behave in ways consistent with their own group survival. Now we just heard the tropes and the stereotypes uh, mm -hmm. that were thrown at an entire group of people in order to justify their statement that uh, without masters, the slaves will die off. Uh, how did that work for you? Because it seemed like, hold on, let me look in this mirror. Yep, I'm still here. <laughs> right. How about that? I'm still here. We have survived everything they've thrown at us, uh, and we're still here. Uh, we we aren't growing like other populations are, but I have my own theories on that. Uh, that, you know, at some point they decided they knew exactly how much of a percentage of the population we could represent without a full rebellion. Because they had so many rebellions And ever since then they've been working on Keeping us at that level through incarceration And genocide And in fact didn't we just We, we heard something within the uh, Trope mix where the gentleman Was mentioning uh, Make more babies about how we, Yeah we just yeah they need to make more babies mm -hmm. And we know The, the uh, statistical analysis When it comes to uh, population projections in the future We know that uh, What did they say By 2050 The Caucasian race will be The minority in the United States That's what they say Does that sound familiar to you Yes It sounds familiar to me Yeah uh, and so I'm, I'm, I was going to say We know historically the things that have been done To Black women in this country When it came to uh, Matters of contraception uh, Sterilization uh, The gentleman who uh, I can't recall his name The doctor who started the C-section Remember they had the statue Right outside of uh, one of the Universities or hospitals In New York and the women did the Demonstration there mm -hmm. So we know 
that relationship. And when we just look at all of the things that we've survived over the years, I mean, I just can't imagine. So we take the the, the shutdown of uh, 2018. I believe it was December 2018 when it was the government shutdown. And, I mean, within 30 days, people were losing their minds. You know, people who have regular jobs, they were going out committing crimes because they couldn't deal with having to go and collect unemployment and all of these other things. And yet here we are 400 years into this thing, and we know all of the atrocities that we've gone through and that we still go through. And when we do that comparison, like you say, put on a mask, and a person says, oh, I'm a slave, once you tell them to put on a mask to protect themselves. Uh, what was that one where the, the attorney said, because she has to work from home, she she's a slave, and everyone's saying this. And I think we even have a clip of that as well. Well, you so, know, just about how people that. start, yeah, yeah they, they, they start coming out with the extremes over the smallest little things. And yet, here it is, we're always told, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, uh, Forget about it when it's when we start talking about slavery. That was so long ago. Oh, why should I do anything? That why why should I be held accountable for something that my ancestors did or didn't do? Because you have even the ones that say, "Oh, my ancestors didn't own any slaves." Or all of these types of uh, you trying to get all ten of them in a row right made. now? Oh, I'm sorry, Max. I'm sorry, Vic. <laughs> I'm You're sorry. Like, Go ahead. You are bro. number eight and number seven right now. You yeah, number number six. I'm sorry, <laughs> man. I was just on a roll. <laughs> right. Well, you know, there that is that is the, it shows the tropes that they were using. That blacks are lazy. Uh, they don't want to work unless we're, there's somebody there to govern them. They'll just die off or kill themselves off. And these mm-hmm. stereotypes and tropes created by racists in order to justify what they were doing, which was slavery, and still is. All right, let's go on to number six. Number six. Where the common people are free, they are even worse off than slaves. This argument became popular in the South in the decades before the war between the states. Its leading exponent was the pro-slavery writer George Fitzhugh, whose book titles speak for themselves. Sociology for the South, or The Failure of Free Society, 1854, and Cannibals All, or Slaves Without Masters, 1857. Fitzhugh seems to have taken many of his ideas from the reactionary racist Scottish writer Thomas Carlyle. The expression wage slave still echoes this antebellum outlook. True to his sociological theories, Fitzhugh wanted to extend slavery in the United States to working class white people for their own good. That was number six. Um, If the common people are free... They'll be worse off than they were if they were slaves. Now, this is an exact opposite of what they just said in number five. In number five, they're like, you know, without masters, the slaves would die off. And in number six, they got people writing books, slaves without masters. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know? Like, they they said, okay, we have found a new way to expand this slavery thing now and turn it into wage slavery, which is a... Uh, metaphor for actual slavery But in wage slavery You get some money You don't get a lot You get very little But it's not quite slavery Because it ain't free labor It's just right above that 
<laughs> you know, slavery. Oh, and don't and, forget. And then also, with wage I'm sorry, slave, I thought you were done, brother. Just one more to add to it. Mm-hmm. With wage slavery, you get to choose to quit the job anytime you want to. You could be homeless. You could starve. You could not pay your bills. Those are actual choices you could make. When you're inside a prison, you don't get those choices. You get up and go to work or else. Remember last week, we read the codes from New Jersey that had uh, were listed under you know the same penalties as rape and murder and assault, where if you don't work, you would get punished for it. All right, Yusuf. So you kind of touched on what I was getting ready to say. The point really that I wanted to make was that uh, wage slavery doesn't factor in the human rights conditions or the human rights violations that are perpetuated among those that are enslaved, whether it was on the plantation or whether it's in the prisons nowadays, the numerous human rights conditions and violations. So someone has a job and, you know, they say, oh, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a wage slave or cubicle slave, and, you know, all these types of comparisons to slavery they want to compare everything to slavery except slavery itself. You know I say that all the time, Max. When we mm-hmm. start talking about actual slavery, then it's everything else. It's mass incarceration, it's this, it's that, all these other symptoms that they have, and they never want to address the cancer itself. You know, you mentioned the clip earlier that I put up earlier today, and we weren't sure whether we are going to use it or not. But this actually sounds like a great segue so we get to show people when they're talking about slavery, what they're talking about. When we're talking about slavery, we're talking about chattel slavery, where you literally own people and operate them under punishment mm-hmm. of death or torture or imprisonment. Uh, they're talking about some nine to five or bouncing off of walls because you got to work from home. And it's pretty ridiculous that they actually believe this is slavery. So when we say to them, you know, we're dealing with modern-day slavery, this is what they're thinking about. So let's go ahead and play that, Yusuf, and then do, go back and come do number seven. How's that sound? Sure. Sounds right. great. This is the miseducation of the Negro about slavery. This is where you're learning it from. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Hello, lockdown, basically enslavement. Do you, uh, do you feel enslaved? Uh, I do. I'm a type A lawyer, and I'm bouncing off the walls of my living room because I can't go out. Freedom! 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 With regard to the idea of whether or not you have a right to health care, you have to realize what that implies. It's not an abstraction. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. It means that you're going to enslave not only me, but the janitor at my hospital, the person who cleans my office, the assistants who work in my office, the nurses. But see, you're a smart guy. You know the real history of that. It had nothing to do with slavery until the end. And 2% of the South had slaves. It's a total red herring. It was all about Western expansion, all about tariffs in the North on Southern goods. And then they just tell the public, no, it was about hating black people, when in truth, that's why uh, Robert E. Lee was the top general in the North, the commandant of West Point. They wanted him to be the head of the Northern forces. 
And he said, I don't want to do this, but this is illegal what you're doing. I have to go join the South. And Robert E. Lee hated slavery. One good thing that came out of the Civil War was that it ended. Of yes. Course, it would have ended anyway, eventually. But, you know, there was more racism in the North than there was in the South. You know. But, again, you're... You read books, you read history, which makes you a racist. Uh, I mean, sarcastic, because with the new political correctness, they just trump our facts with just claiming we're racist, we're right-wing, we're hateful. I mean, I think if we never fought that civil war, we wouldn't have the income tax today. We might not have the Federal Reserve. We might still be on a gold standard. And we wouldn't have any slaves, so we'd all be a lot freer. Well, plus, if they do the background, most Americans that came here of any color their ancestors came here after the Civil War. Most white people have no connection to slavery. And so it's, it's just asinine. Well, of course not. And of course, very few whites owned slaves. And in fact, in fact, there were even some blacks that owned slaves. So, you know, it wasn't like, you know, it was only white. But look, I don't want, look, it was a terrible thing. Slavery is the worst thing. No, no, I totally agree. The, the, I mean, the issue is we're here watching the country in deep trouble. And this is still the biggest issue out there that they use as a diversion. It is a diversion, and you look, look, I'm Jewish. I mean, you know, there were, there were Jews that were enslaved at one point too, but I'm not, you know, it, it, I don't, I'm not owed anything as a result of it. We have real economic problems, and we have modern slavery. So the Babylonians and the Egyptians don't owe you anything? No, we're all <laughs> slaves to the U.S. government. The way I look at it, this is one big giant plantation, and the government takes half of everything I earn, and then they try to control everything that I do. You know, the slave owner only got 10% of his slave's production. So the U.S. government gets a lot more from me economically than any plantation owner got out of its slaves. That's right. And what the fuck? What the fucking fuck? Slaves came here as involuntary immigrants. If you come from outside to inside, you're an immigrant. I think people need to actually look up the word immigrant. Okay, Ben Carson, challenge accepted. Let's look up the word immigrants. Siri, is a slave an immigrant? Oh, hell no. Look, the dictionary defines immigrants as a person who comes to a country to take up permanent residence. A person. Firstly, slaves weren't considered people. They were considered property. Secondly, they didn't come to America. They were brought here by force. Eddie Murphy came to America. <laughs> Kunta Kente was brought. Big difference, people. Big difference. Don't sit here and tell me 400 years of slavery because your math is wrong. Anybody that tells you we have had 400 years of slavery is a lie. America was formed in 1776. Slavery ended in 1865. That's 89 years. America is 243 years old. It has not even, it has barely been 30% of our generation, so of our existence. So, in America, uh, 70% of America's existence has been without slavery. 70% of America has been without slavery. We're 243 years old. 70% of us have been without slavery in our existence in America. 
So please stop this 400 years of lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. And she well, we mean 400 years of slavery and oppression. She said, oh, now you mean, now you have to add. America was not formed in 1619. How many of these so-called black experience, you know, you black Muslims, you, you know, you, you vote for Say you can't blame somebody for what somebody else did. Hmm? How many of you say that? How many of you sit here and say, don't blame me for what your ex did? Okay, so how can you blame America for what happened under British rule? America was under British rule to 1776. America was not formed to 1776. You cannot blame a company for what the previous owner of the company did. If you tried to sue my company, because 10 years ago, when it was under another name, under other management, did something to you, you would lose in court. So if you couldn't bring that to the court, how do you expect to bring that to an argument? What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Mm-mm. Fuck this shit, I'm out. No thanks. Don't mind me. I'ma just grab my stuff and leave. Excuse me, please. Fuck this shit, I'm out. No. Fuck this shit, I'm out. All right, then. I don't know what the fuck just happened, but I don't really care. I'ma get the fuck up out of here. This shit, I'm out. Abolition. 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 And just so people know, the music, that music in the background is called The Overture of the Happy Slave, remastered by uh, Juan Crisostomo Ariga, Ariga, I believe it's pronounced Ariaga. So yeah, Whew. that's what people are learning about slavery, man. That's they're learning. Listen, when the man said everyone in the room is dumber for having listened to you, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Aaron sent me a message. She said it was Dr. Mario Sims who experimented on enslaved women using no anesthesia. Thank uh, and you. We put the, Thank you. The link is on our Abolition Today page on Facebook, as well as everything else we've been discussing and you've been hearing. But that, uh, man, that clip right there. Whew. If you want to comment on that, 515-605-9814, press 1 when you get on. Um, those are what they think slavery is. Rand Paul talking about, you know, Health care for free is slavery. Uh, you got Alex Jones talking about the Civil War had nothing to do with slavery. And the guy he's talking with, which was a political advisor for the Trump administration at the time, is sitting there telling mm-hmm. us about how we should have never had the Civil War. People would have been better off. Oh, my God. And what did he say? Uh, the government gets more money out of him economically than they got out of the slaves. So he's more of a slave than they were. Like, there is nothing in their mind at any point to think of the human cost of all of this. To them, that don't even matter. Like, because you, you're not a person, even today. Right. 
So when they talk about slavery and these excuses we've been talking about and hearing throughout the night, that is what they think of right there. Even Ben Carson. (laughs) Right. And and that last guy, I don't even know what to say. First of all, what kind of math is you doing, man? And then secondly, you can hear the bigotry come out of his mouth when he started talking about Muslims and and stuff like that. Like he, he was making no damn sense at all, which is what, the commentator said, like, you just made everybody stupid just for listening to what you just had yeah. to say. Yeah, and he, and he was wrong when he was trying to explain how the law works, because in actuality, if a company does something and it continually does it, even if it changes ownership and everything, and it continues that practice and is violating a person's rights, yes, they can sue both the past owner and the current owner. You know, so and yeah. and that's really the argument that yes, both are liable, the past owner and the current owner, because it is continually happening. It hasn't stopped. That's In the, the, point. Uh, the ex- right. I was just gonna say the third the exception clause of the thirteenth amendment has ensured that it continued to happen. All it did was go from as the courts have called it over the years, they started calling it African slavery. Then they said African chattel slavery. Then they said uh, slavery and its incidents. And then they called it badges and incidents of slavery, which is this year's theme, this season's theme, badges and incidents of slavery. Because that's what we're pointing out, all of the badges and incidents of slavery, which the courts have called it that. Yes, had some long conversations with uh, Brother Andy Williams, who was our guest last week, uh, since then, about using that as uh, trial cases. He's going for the RICO. He called me up mm-hmm. yesterday and asked for data on it so that you know he could have all his facts, and I provided it for him. But one more thing about awesome. that clip before I read number seven. It's actually two things. Mm-hmm. One, I know people are into symbology. That clip was six minutes and 66 seconds long. And in the description, (laughs) I wrote, you don't let murderers define murder, you don't let rapists define rape, and you don't let slavers define slavery. And that's what we're hearing, slavers defining slavery. It's not slavery. I know what slavery is, and what we're doing to you ain't slavery. You know what slavery is? Slavery is me having to work while you sit in that damn cell doing nothing. That's what slavery is. Max, I'm in the middle of a deluge right now, so uh, I may lose power. You know, if I lose power, then I'm just going to be going on the fly. I won't have access to my notes. All right. Don't stick your finger just, in the plug. Just giving you a heads No, none of that. All right. If, if I hear you disappear, I'll, I'll do what I can. All right. Let's go ahead and get into number seven of 10 Reasons Not to Abolish Slavery by Robert Hicks. 7. Getting rid of slavery would occasion great bloodshed and other evils. In the United States, many people assume that the slaveholders would never permit the termination of the slave system without an all-out fight to preserve it. Sure enough, when the Confederacy and the Union went to war, set aside that the immediate issue was not the abolition of slavery, but the secession of 11 southern states, great bloodshed and other evils did ensue. These tragic events seemed in many people's minds to validate the reason they had given for opposing abolition. They evidently overlooked that except in Haiti, slavery was abolished everywhere else in the Western Hemisphere 
without large-scale violence. All right, that was number seven. Abolition or ending slavery will cause bloodshed and evils. Uh, and we hear that today. You're just trying to start a race war. Uh, you're trying to race bait us. You're trying to put us in a position where we have a civil war. Uh, because of you guys, we had to go out and kill all them people. Uh, you, you hear it all the time from, from them. It's the same BS that we've been hearing now for centuries, which is why I use these excuses from the antebellum period, because they apply today. It's the same excuses that they're making with 2021 language. That's all it is. Uh, you said and we know, you know, we start talking about the Civil War and the compromise that came out of it. In fact, uh, I called it the Reconstruction Secret Compromise that was made, and it was doing doing the. I can't recall the the logical fallacy, but it's where you're doing the greater good does that sound familiar to you where it's like a wrong but you're correcting it with another wrong there's an actual logical fallacy that's it (laughs) two wrongs don't make a right (laughs) that's it two wrongs don't make two wrongs make a right assuming that if one is one wrong is committed another wrong will rectify it and so that's what we got out of the situation, you know, where it was, okay, and we've read Lincoln's uh, letter to Douglas many times on the air here, where the gist of the letter was, you know, the only difference between the North and the South is, you know, one wanted to expand it and one wanted to restrict it. And so that was the compromise, the 13th Amendment. We'll still allow it to go on, but rather than the individual having control, the state is going to have control of it. The government is going to have control of it. And it's restricted to those convicted of a crime. What he just said there would be, you know, if we eliminate slavery, abolish slavery, it'll cause bloodshed and evils. It reminds me very much of the appeal to ignorance because he even said that what they didn't, what they didn't uh, compute was that slavery had been abolished all across the globe and it didn't end in violence and bloodshed, that it had happened without all of these things occurring that they were predicting. And here in the United States right now, we're ending slavery and there's no civil war around us. I mean, we are literally ending it in law. Uh, As far as getting people free, that's all part of the program. But you got to start with the legal aspect, and that's not something you could do overnight. But we're getting it done very close to overnight. And they have in their minds this fear of retaliation, and we know that the NRA and the KKK both formed in the same year (laughs) that the uh, 13th Amendment or when uh, slavery was supposedly abolished. You know, and it was just this big rush to form these white militia groups and arming themselves, preparing for this retaliation. When I think we really want to be, I'm sorry. No, it's 1871 when the NRA. 1871, yes. Yeah. 1871, and 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 so KKK was 1865. 
I have different notes on that, but okay. Uh, I know they weren't long between each other, and the reasoning behind the one and the other was for them to arm themselves to prepare for this, you know, this uh, this retaliation. There's always this fear of this retaliation. This is why anytime someone gets murdered in cold blood by the police, they come out in full force, tanks, full riot gear, everything, because they're fearing retaliation. When people are looking for freedom, justice, equality, and they just be left the hell alone. Yeah, and, you know, in this day and age, if we're talking about race wars, that is a misnomer because there would be no such thing as a war. We are only 13% of the population. We don't have a standing army. We might have a militia, a militia, you know, right. the NF, what is it, not fucking around coalition. Exactly. You know, uh, but we don't And we have don't the have the law to protect. We don't have the law on our side either. We don't have the courts on our side. We don't have it, the prosecutors it, on our side. It would be a massacre. We would have no more chance than the Japanese had in stopping themselves from being put in detention centers. Right, because if it was if it was fair ground, even grounds, they would have never been able to drop a bomb on move. Right. They would have never been able to, you know, kick Fred Hampton's door in and murder him in cold blood. None of these things would have been able to happen if it was working on even ground. And, and remember what Malcolm said. Malcolm said that America is one of the probably the only country in the world where you can have a bloodless res, res, uh, revolution. That's what Malcolm said, mm. and that's what that's we're right. in the middle of right now. Like with this move to amend the Thirteenth to end slavery in law and in practice, is a revolution right here happening in the United States without a war going on. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get on to number eight of the ten reasons okay. not to abolish slavery. Mr. Robert Higgs. We'll be right back. Eight. Without slavery, the former slaves would run amok, stealing, raping, killing, and generally causing mayhem. Preservation of social order, therefore, rules out the abolition of slavery. Southerners lived in dread of slave uprisings. Northerners in the mid-19th century found the situation in their own region already sufficiently intolerable owing to the massive influx of drunken, brawling Irishmen into the country in the 1840s and 1850s. Throwing free blacks, whom the Irish generally disliked, into the mix would well-nigh guarantee social chaos. That was number eight. Um, that if you have slavery, they'll run amok. Yeah, appeal to fear. That's what it is. It's not the logical fallacy. Be afraid. Be very afraid. If we free these Negroes and let them out of those prisons, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to rob all your women and rape all your men. <laughs> you know, Birth you know? of a Nation. The very yeah. first, one of the first films out, Birth of a Nation. That was the very first thing that they were putting in there. These freed slaves would start coming and snatching up and raping white women. That's what they were putting out. And we hear it every time. Whenever there's any talk of doing anything for those inside the prisons, especially when it starts talking about granting parole, even for those who've been in for 40, 50, 60 years, the first thing they say, you know, they always go to the fallacy of the average because they're assuming that everyone in prison is there for rape and murder when we know that they make up 
10% of the prison population. The vast majority of the prison population are made up of low-level crimes, nonviolent drug offenders, people who are there because they're just poor. They couldn't afford to pay, uh, you know, a fine. Right. So, but the fallacy of the average is, you know, everyone's a rapist or a murderer. And when you start talking about releasing people, as they were talking about during COVID, oh, we're going to be releasing rapists and murderers into the society. So, yeah, they appeal to the person's fear. Travel Rain sent me a message. She said, fuck this shit, I'm out. Amok, amok, I'm running amok. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my celly. <laughs> yeah, running amok, man. That's what they say we'll do. We just go crazy uh, because we don't know how to take care of ourselves. Remember, we'll just die off if they if we don't have a master. Not somebody not taking care of us, and they just pull the police out, and we'll kill each other, and all of this. This is right. like the tropes that we heard from Donald Trump as he when he was president. Remember, we played this commentary on air about how blacks are the problems for racism. <laughs> Black races are the problem. And remember, right. he was going to send the National Guard and the military into Chicago for those Negroes over there because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're the problem. But they, that's it, man. You know, one fallacy after the other. All right, uh, we're at 8 o'clock. You want to do these last two before we go into our break? Yes. All right, so let's go into number nine of the 10 reasons not to abolish slavery by Robert Higgs. And remember, all of this is available at Abolition Today on our Facebook page. Just go to facebook.com slash Abolition Today. We'll be right back. Nine, trying to get rid of slavery is foolishly utopian and impractical. Only a fuzzy-headed dreamer would advance such a cockamamie proposal. Serious people cannot afford to waste their time considering such far-fetched ideas. That was number nine. It's utopian and impractical that we are just nuts. Because, you know, why would we have, what are we, bleeding heart liberals? (laughs) You know, these are murderers and rapists we're talking about. You want to let them go. That's that's where they're coming from, you know. And uh, it's just ridiculous, number nine. Utopian and impractical, a world without slavery. And with the Abolish Slavery <laughs> National Network, that's our vision. Uh, uh, that's our mission statement, where there's no constitution of slavery in law or practice. Yusuf? Yeah. He, he says, serious people cannot afford to waste their time considering such far-fetched ideas. You know, Another that reminds me of policy. when... Yeah, when, uh, it reminds me of when you and I were in... Uh, UI and Tribal in Columbus, Ohio. And we were in the King's Art Complex explaining to the uh, cultural arts director, you know, about uh, slavery still being in effect. And she just thought it was such a far-fetched idea. And that's, as soon as I heard him say far-fetched ideas, it immediately made me think of her well, and how she had to be given a history lesson. And here she's the cultural arts director. I've had allies tell me very much the same thing, you know, uh, that this is just some pie-in-the-sky dream. Ain't nobody going to get free from this. Uh, it's not going to change anything. It's all symbolic. I've had that said to me so many times already that it's symbolic. <laughs> like, like, you never even thought about it before. Now you think it's symbolic. Like, can you critically think about this for a minute, uh, you know, and maybe do some research and You'll see for sure that it's not symbolic. So absolutely, utopian and impractical. Um, 
We hear that a lot now with the arguments as well. And we heard it in Tennessee uh, at the home of the KKK where they offered the same type of thing. Uh, well, everybody's not a lawyer who is a constituent of mine and says it takes a lawyer to explain this. And I, I'm not a lawyer. I won't be able to explain it to my constituents. Then I'm going to vote no. So he's just going <laughs> to vote really? no. Yeah. All right. So let's finish this off with number 10. Uh, okay. 10 Reasons Not to Abolish Slavery by Robert Hicks. 10. Forget abolition. A far better plan is to keep the slaves sufficiently well-fed, clothed, housed, and occasionally entertained, and to take their minds off their exploitation by encouraging them to focus on the better life that awaits them in the hereafter. We cannot expect fairness or justice in this life, but all of us, including the slaves, can aspire to a life of ease and joy in paradise. At one time, countless people found one or more of the foregoing reasons adequate grounds on which to oppose the abolition of slavery. Yet, in retrospect, these reasons seem shabby, more rationalizations than reasons. Today, these reasons or very similar ones are used by opponents of a different form of abolitionism, the proposal that government as we know it, monopolistic, individually non-consensual rule by an armed group that demands obedience and payment of taxes, be abolished. I leave it as an exercise for the reader to decide whether the foregoing reasons are more compelling in this regard than they were in regard to the proposed abolition of slavery. Unbelievable, Max. Unbelievable. Did I lose you? Am I still on the line? You're here. It was me. Oh, I'm mute. I wasn't sure. Sorry about that. Okay. Go ahead with it, man. What did you think? I'm going to pass on the last one, man. I really am. Because I feel as though I'll get up on my soapbox and we just don't have the time for it. But, yeah, I'm I'm going to stick with passing on that one. Well, he he concluded with, you know, that it's more rationalization than reasoning, which is what it is. They're justifying, they're rationalizing their evil acts as necessary, required, uh, that they have to happen because the Negroes will go crazy. The Negroes will die off. The Negroes wouldn't know what to do with themselves. The Negroes can't take care of themselves. The Negro needs to be governed. All of these different things uh, are were part of what he was presenting in here. Uh, they're not opinions, they're not arguments, they're rationalizations and justifications. And I kind of enjoyed the fact that this guy, who doesn't even recognize modern-day slavery, and instead applies slavery to a government, to being you know ruled by a government, that's slavery instead to him, that we used his work mm-hmm. to kill his own arguments. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? So I, I got a kick out of that. All right, uh, here's what we're going to do then. Um, we're going to play okay. our music break. Uh, when we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. The number is 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1 if you have a question or a comment. Uh, we're going to get into this music break, and it is The World is a Ghetto Mix with uh, Senator Warnock's first speech and also a clip from Representative Park Cannon, who was recently arrested. And it will be concluded by Elias Sheffield, Earth is a Ghetto. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan 
abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back. Abolition, 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 abolition. This is Jim Crow in New Clothes. Since the January election, some 250 voter suppression bills have been introduced by state legislatures all across the country, from Georgia to Arizona, from New Hampshire to Florida, using the big lie of voter fraud as a pretext for voter suppression. The same big lie that led to a violent insurrection on this very capital the day after my election. Within 24 hours, we elected Georgia's first African-American Jewish senator, and hours later, the capital was assaulted. We see in just a few precious hours the tension very much alive in the soul of America. And the question before all of us at every moment is, what will we do to push us in the right direction? And so politicians driven by that big lie aim to severely limit and in some cases eliminate automatic and same-day voter registration, mail-in and absentee voting, and early voting and weekend voting. They want to make it easier to purge voters from the voting roll altogether. And as a voting rights activist, I've seen up close just how draconian these measures can be. I hail from a state that purged 200,000 voters from the roll one Saturday night in the middle of the night. We know what's happening here. Some people don't want some people to vote. The governor is signing a bill that affects all Georgians. Why is he doing it in private, and why is he trying to keep elected officials who are representing us out of the process? Are you serious? No, you are not. She's not under arrest. For what? Under arrest for what? For trying to see something that our governor is doing? Our governor is signing a bill that affects all Georgians, and you're going to arrest an elected representative. Why are you arresting her? Call us now. Why are you arresting her? Sign it. Give me a reason why you are arresting her. Give me a reason why you are arresting her.
Max, are you back? Okay, Max is still not back. I hope we're still on the air. I'm not even sure if we're on the air. I have no way of checking. So if someone can uh, send me a text or something and let me know we're still on the air and broadcasting. Oh, if you can call in, 515-605-9814, press 1 on your dial. Just so we, I know that I'm still on the air and I'm just not talking to myself. Okay, this this is probably Max calling in right now. Two zero two three, you're on the air. Yeah, yeah, it's me. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you fine, brother. Okay, my microphone line got snatched out by mistake, and I'm unable to get it going again just yet. So I had to call in. Okay, um, we got you here. So where were we? So we just finished listening to uh, Senator Warnock. And we mentioned Jim Crow and new clothes. I, I spoke on the 250 bills that have been passed across the nation, and I was just filling some uh, time talking about uh, voter suppression and gerrymandering that's been going on across the country and how companies aren't allowing their employees to go vote as they should be. And we've seen from this previous election where the restrictions that they put on it, where they were like, even when it was doing the mail-in voting, they were making it where one there's only one location for an entire county and things of this nature. They just made it very difficult for people to vote. Yeah, in multiple ways. The required ID, uh, I think I mentioned to you earlier that I don't drive uh, because of the medical conditions I have. So I don't have a driver's license. I have a state ID. And in some states that may not be uh, enough to be able to vote. Uh, so they, they, they put all these little things together, uh, closing voting, poll, polling booths down at 5 p.m. when people are still at work or just getting off work and not giving them a chance to go and vote. Also little things like you're not allowed to give people water or refreshments. Uh, and you could justify that all day long, I guess, and say, you know, maybe they're trying to poison somebody. But when you see people standing in line and voting lines for up to 11 hours, it makes all the damn sense in the world, doesn't it? It, it absolutely does. I mean, that's just being humane. <laughs> right. Again, when we start talking about just giving basic human rights, I mean, you're standing on long lines for hours and you say, okay, you can't give them water. So are you going to arrest people for giving out water? I mean, they just arrested a six-year-old for picking a tulip at a bus stop. Down right. in North Carolina, a six year old. And then they, had to, then they had to make a law that would make it illegal to arrest six year olds picking up flowers. <laughs> like, <laughs> like somebody actually had to be told that, and it had to be made into a law. It re- reminds me of the law they had to put in New Jersey that made it illegal to rape some somebody's uh, farm animals. <laughs> Like it, it, it's illegal now. It's, you literally had a law because apparently people were raping farm animals, including police. Wow, <laughs> unbelievable! So now we got laws to tell you it's wrong to incarcerate to arrest a six-year-old child for picking flowers at a bus stop. And it, um, and in fact, what was it between three year in, in a three-year span? There were seventy-three hundred arrests of between the ages of 6 and 11, and almost half of them were black. 
Man. And there was some other. I'm 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 scrolling through because I'm trying to find the article again. I didn't open that article, but it was just outrageous the numbers that they were that they were mentioning. And this all ties in when you start putting uh, police officers in schools. So things that you used to get detention for, or you used to get sent to the uh, principal's office, you're now being charged with the crime. I mean. Children have always had bad attitudes in school, and that could be tied to the child came to school. He had no food because his family is poor. There are many things. There was the one girl who got arrested for not turning in her homework. You know, so I things. Got, <laughs> Go ahead. I got the article. If you want me to read that uh, part, it says, uh, while the six-year-old ending up before a judge may seem shocking, around 7,300 Complaints were actually filed against six to eleven-year-olds from 2015 to 2018. Juvenile data showed as cited by the newspaper. Of those complaints, 47% were against black children, 40% were against white children, and 7% were against Hispanic or Latino children. The report said around 22% of the state's population is black, 70% white, and 10% Hispanic. You see how these numbers are working? 22% represents 47% of the children being uh, arrested at 6 to 11 years old, whereas 70% represents 40% of them where it happens. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about if they can arrest him for, and so the charge was injury to property. Picking flowers was considered injury to property. Man, Earth is ghetto. I want to leave. Yes, yes. Thank you, Aaliyah Sheffield, for that song. (laughs) And, you know, it's also the favorite song of uh, one of my friends, and I hope she's tuned in tonight. Just Earth is uh, (laughs) is ghetto. (laughs) Earth is ghetto. I I want to leave. There's a couple of stories that have stood out for me this week, too. Uh, One of them was in St. Louis, uh, these these cops that are going on trial for beating an undercover black detective in St. Louis. Uh Reading this article, it didn't mention who they killed. It just said black man that they killed, and people were protesting, right? And so they had Uh the trial come up, and they implanted this black detective into the community. So he was an undercover cop in the black organizing community. And when they went Mm -hmm. down to protest, they expected the cop to get off. And that was one of the reasons that he was there along with the riot squad. So when the cop actually got off and people started, you know, screaming and yelling, they beat this cop's ass. The other cops beat the black cop who was in disguise embedded in the black community. And now his case is going to court where these cops are on trial for beating the undercover agent, like the cop who killed a man that started all this, got off. <laughs> like he's off. The cops who beat the other cop are on trial. Like you got your ass whooped as an infiltrator. You deserve an ass whooping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wow. got somebody on the line. I see. Let me pull him in here. Um, all right, eight five nine nine. You are here with us at Abolition today. Hey, Brother Max, man, thanks for laying down the challenge earlier this week. I saw your Facebook post. You said, <laughs> people, will, people, will cl- 
people I saw, man. People will click the link. They'll smile at the link. They'll give the thumbs up to the link. But I'm here mm-hmm. to listen. But I'm listening, man. I'm listening, man. And, thank you. Uh, thank you. We appreciate you. that. Absolutely, man. And, you know, just one thing. I go back to something you guys said earlier because, as Max knows, I worked covering politics for a decade. This is systemic. I mean, they don't – this is intentional. It's been going on since they introduced the voter ID uh, bills in the state. ALEC was behind that. If you don't know what ALEC is, maybe your listeners don't, but it's a legislative oh, agenda group. They know what ALEC is. Well, ALEC put forward mm-hmm. these bills intentionally designed to suppress the vote, and they have been doing this systematically for years and years and years, and it's just never let up. They just always try to find new and different ways to keep people from voting and, and they'll do anything they can. And, that, and that's what it's all, that's what it's all about. I mean, that's the naked truth. I know you know it, but I, I think like a lot of white suburban people, the, the, you know, the ignorant, they don't know it. They don't, they don't realize what's happening here or they, their ideology isn't such that they would even consider that a possibility or their ideology is so much that they know it's happening and they choose to support it or to turn a blind eye to it. So it's yes. been going on and one of the, a long time coming. One of the things that it's bothers me is we don't address it as a constitutional violation. It is actually a violation of our voting rights, 14th and 15th Amendment, that the government should not impugn on our rights uh, based on race or former uh, conditions of servitude. So if this is race-based, it's a violation of the Constitution. And nobody's even talking about it like that. They're calling it Jim Crow 2.0, the new Jim Crow. That's not illegal. A violation of the Constitution is. So, Marty, anything to add to that? No, sir. I just wanted you to know I was listening, Max, and you and you thank you, you and Lisa for for holding it down, man. I appreciate you. Thank you, brother. Thank Marty you. We appreciate you. Yep. Calling out a Minneapolis. Minnesota is a state that is removing slavery, too. Um, They have their bill put in to get her done. So shout out to uh, Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We have some good news for a change, Max. What's that? Yeah, we got a few pieces of good news, actually. Yeah, so as of uh, March 25th, the New York City uh, Council just voted to end qualified immunity for police officers, making New York City the first city in the country to do so. Qualified immunity was established in 1967 in Mississippi to prevent freedom riders from holding public officials liable when they broke the law. Rooted in our nation's history of systemic racism, qualified immunity denied freedom riders justice and has been used to deny justice to victims of police abuse. It should have never been allowed, but I'm proud we took action today to end it We're here in New York City. That was uh, two tweets put out by New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson on March 25th. That is good news. Uh, we need to see that happen all across the country. One of the mm-hmm. things I'm confused about is I thought Colorado had done that already. Um, I'm not sure, and I wish we had someone like uh, Kamau or any of the other ASNM, ASNN members in uh, Colorado that be able to call in and give us an update on that. Uh, yeah, they did it. Uh, December 18, 2020, Colorado ends qualified immunity uh, for police. 
So yeah, oh, New York. Okay, great. I remember reporting on it. That's why I was like, didn't Colorado do that already? Yeah, because qualified immunity is, is huge. We speak about it all the time. And I believe it would change drastically policing in America. When an officer knows that when he violates someone's rights, that his pension is going to pay it off instead of the, the city taxpayers paying off any settlements. That's gonna, that would definitely change. And it allows certain charges to be brought against the officers. They won't be able to hide behind the five- to ten-day reporting period so they can get their story straight. You know, it's a lot of things that are tied to qualified immunity. When you're bringing a lawsuit against them, they can't hide their police record, you know, the way it is now, in order to get the officer's record, you have to know what's in the record. (laughs) Think about that for a second, Max. You have to know what's in it before you can even see it in order Mm -hmm. for you to be granted permission to have his record. So all of these things are hidden behind qualified immunity. And so when that's taken down, and we see just in New Jersey where we just we just testified last week of one of the other things that just passed committee is formulating the uh, civilian complaint review boards where there's independent investigations of officers. Uh, an independent uh, investigation, there's uh, they're also giving recommendations for punishment against them. So it's no longer just the police policing the police. So on top of removing the qualified immunity, there's also a civilian review board that can actually bring charges against the officers. I believe there's a case in Colorado where they're actually about to do that to these cops out there. It might have been those police that uh, pulled the whole family, the, the the mother and like four kids, and had them laying on the ground there, gunfight. Right. One of the kids was like six years old, and now mm-hmm. they're being sued uh, without this qualified immunity, and they're subject to damages now. Right. So that would be two states. We need to see 50 of them and territories with that same thing. Uh, things will change real quickly when you are now being held accountable for your own damn actions. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Another uh, piece of news, and I'm not going to call it good. It is what it is. The Supreme Court has decided that if a policeman or policewoman, police person, shoots you in the back as you're moving away from them, that is a violation of the Fourth Amendment, which protects you from unlawful search and seizures. And the reasoning is that once they've shot you, your body has been seized. It don't matter how far away you got, it could be a sniper from five miles. If they shoot you in the back and that stops your momentum, you have now been seized illegally uh, because you got shot. It said in a five to three decision written by Chief Justice John Roberts, it stems from a 2014 incident in Albuquerque in which New Mexico State Police attempted to arrest a woman for a white collar crime. As the officers tried to enter Roxanne Torres' car, she sped off, later claiming that she thought the police were criminals attempting a carjacking. As she drove away, the officers fired 13 shots, striking Torres twice in the back and temporarily paralyzing her left arm. 
She drove 75 miles to a hospital, but was then airlifted to a hospital back in Albuquerque, where she was arrested the next day after being shot at 13 times and actually being hit. And then Roberts joined the court's liberal wing, as well as Associate, Associate Justice Brett Kavanaugh, wrote that the physical force used by police represented a seizure under the Fourth Amendment, even if the bullets failed to stop Torres. The opinion represents an expansion of Fourth Amendment protections at a time when the nation is wrestling with police use of force and split-second decisions made by law enforcement officers. Yusuf? You know, I'm thinking about the part where she says she took off because she thought the police were criminals attempting a carjacking. And remember, we covered a story last year where there were actually officers in New Mexico and I believe in Texas who were actually basically strong-arming people, pulling them over and coming there and extorting them for money. You remember those cases? Not immediately, no. Okay. Yeah, it was something that we covered last year and just on the fly. That just happened to come to mind. Oh. And that that could be why she took off, because she knows that police officers it, maybe in that area were known to do that. So some may say, well, if they were in uniform or they were in their cars, why would she think that they were police officers? Well, they were criminals. You know, but anytime you see someone coming at you with a gun, especially if they're not in uniform, but even when they are in uniform, I mean, you can easily get uniforms out here, you know, but just someone coming at you with the gun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fight or flight. Isn't that how it goes? That's just a natural human reaction. And you know what happens when cops pull out guns quite often. I mean, right. you know, <laughs> so you're like, you know what, I stand a better chance of just taking off. I can't help but think of Walter Scott here in South Carolina with that, you know, shot oh, eight man. times in the back as he was running away. Uh, whether the cop was identifiable or not really doesn't matter when you're fearing that you're going to about to get killed. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. So this, this is definitely, uh, this is definitely great. And this is again, pointing towards the uh, qualified immunity where pointing to I believe later in the article it mentioned something of that nature. Um, okay, so, I don't have the article in front of me anymore. Yeah, so they, they haven't made a determination about whether the seizure in the case was reasonable under the uh, Constitution and whether damages should be awarded or whether the police are protected under qualified immunity. So uh, issues like this still have to be addressed by the court. But this is a step in the right direction. And yeah, another thing that I right direction, you should talk about Baltimore too. That'll be that's, that's exactly what I was getting ready to do. You yeah. know, being a being a native of Baltimore, you know. Uh, so uh, right now we don't know how it's going to go down, but it's it's uh, put out there that Baltimore will no longer prosecute drug possession, prostitution, and low level crimes, as per Maryland State Attorney Marilyn Mosby. From uh, this past Friday, that statement that she put out, uh, I guess it still has to pass through the city council or something. I don't know how they're going to address it, but she wants the police to focus on the violent crimes and drug trafficking. She doesn't want what they call like the 
broken windows or the quality of life crimes to be coming through because they're not going to they're not going to prosecute them. So it's up in the air as to what the police are going to do. It did mention in the article something about uh, a local nonprofit would be stepping in. It was called uh, Baltimore Crisis Response Inc. to provide services to people suffering from mental illness, homelessness, and drug addiction. But uh, it's just not enough information right now. It's, it's a good idea, and I'm just curious as to how that's going to be implemented. Are they going to be assigning fines to this instead of arresting them? And, of course, we know if a person can't afford the fine, then they're still going to end up in jail. So, yeah, I just want to see what happens with this because this is something that was tried in uh, Cook County by Kim Fox. She did it in the beginning stages of the uh, pandemic, and uh, it's also something that they're considering doing in Chicago. So we'll definitely keep our ears tuned for that one. I like the sound of it. You got to take these first steps. You know, we have to move forward, and you can't you can't go straight to the finish line. That's not how life works. You know, we have to take right. these first steps, and these are steps in the right direction. Uh, at least, you know, they they won't be having all these petty incarcerations going on. Baltimore's got one of the oldest jails in the country, built back in yes. the 1800s, and most of the time it's filled with black bodies. I think it's upwards of 90 something percent is usually black people. In these Absolutely. And just there because they can't afford the bail to get out, which is another violation of the Constitution, Eighth Amendment violation, that these bails are always behind, beyond your reach. If you're homeless with no job and your bail is $1,000, it might as well be a million dollars. It's the same effect. You, you can't pay it. Where are you going to get it from? You were just asking for quarters a little while ago, and now they want $1,000 from you or else. Right. So another story. I wanted to get into was the judge that got busted out there in Clark County, Superior Court Judge uh, Darvin Zimmerman. Uh-huh. He was trying to case, and I guess they went on recess, you know. So they were doing it on a live stream, and he forgot the stream was on and was in a conversation with a, a woman there. I don't, I'm not quite sure what her position was just yet, but he ended up explaining to her about this black guy. He was uh, on, on trial and how the defense was trying to make him look like an angel when he wasn't no angel at all, how they always do that to the black people, try to make it look like instead of the criminal that they are, you know, that there's some kind of angel. Uh, then he started talking about how black people are so racist. Uh, you know, the, the white guy, the white judge, is explaining to this woman about black racism, how they are so racist against white people. Uh, and then he went on a, a tirade about a number of other things. You check it out on our page, uh, uh, Abolition Today on Facebook. Uh, the results so far of that is that uh, he had his license revoked after that, busted on camera. But that's not enough for, for me. You know, when you start right. seeing that this person has such a twisted perspective, that they don't understand race and racism, that while they're trying a case, they are practicing racism publicly to someone else in a conversation that you need to check every case they've been involved with because he didn't just become a racist today. The moment you caught him on video, very likely was not his first entry into the racism Olympics. Right. Uh, there's a lot of people that are likely suffering because of this bigot. And his entire history needs to be reviewed now because there are likely innocent people sitting behind bars or dead. Uh, because of his actions. Yusuf? 
You said it all right there. You know, open up his cases. Let's look at what's been going on because you can just sit in the courtroom and you say you can hear judges say some bizarre things. And they say it with impunity almost, that they feel as though that nothing's going to be done to them. And they say it case after case after case after case. And so for him to just be loose with this in the courtroom just tells me that I'm sure if they really dug into his history and checked old, you know, the archives, that they could probably find more things in there. Yeah, I, we, I always say that. I'm, I'm pretty sure you agree that anytime we find misconduct among people like judges and prosecutors and police, that their, their history needs to be reviewed. At least the most, uh, the cases within the last three years, all the cases at minimum within the last three years. But if they've been on the, on the bench or on the force 20, 30 years, and you find three more cases, that's a real good indication that you need to continue going back further and looking right. at as many as possible. And if you don't have the manpower to get it, then, I mean, hire people to do that. Uh, it's worth it. There could be somebody, as I said, sitting there in a cage right now, completely innocent. Uh, and they, all they need is for you to research this and find out why they're innocent or and how they got there. Or even somebody's family needs justice for the murdered child that they had. Absolutely. All right, so- and so I was going to say, since we have, uh, you know, our closing segment is so long today. Yes, you know, there's 11, 11 minutes and 11 seconds, yeah, that we have to, uh, I guess we have to start doing our closing unless it was like anything else that you really wanted to get yeah. out there. Yes, there is two things I want to get out there real quick. Uh, number one is New York is also banning uh, solitary confinement, which has been deemed by the United Nations as torture. And so New York is putting an end to that. So they create uh, some of the, the key mechanisms uh, that challenges isolation confinement is to create more humane and effective alternatives uh, in long-term isolated confinement, restricts criteria for placement in isolated confinements, bans mm-hmm. special population from isolated confinement. So you, you can't keep putting people who are literally mentally challenged into these hellholes. Uh, enhances due process protection before placement and creates mechanisms mechanisms for release when you're in one. Uh, covers all categories of people who currently face isolated confinement, and there are other protections. So that just happened with New York, too, and I think that's another one. And the last thing I wanted to add to that is next month is Poetry Month, and uh, your boy is a spoken word poet. So I'm going to try to include as much poetry as I can into next week's program. If you have some favorites that you think fit the theme that we have here, please send them to me at Abolition Today or Abolitionist Center, Abolitionist Center at gmail.com. Send me a link to the video or the audio, and we may play it here on air during Poetry Month. All right, Yusuf? Well, absolutely. I just wanted to also mention, uh, just real quick, uh, The Oklahoma prison Great Plains Correctional Facility run by GEO Group will be closing in May due to the Biden administration's uh, bill that he signed to not renew any uh, contracts that house federal inmates in uh, private prisons. So you can find more information about that on our page. All right. It's been a hell of a program. We got about two minutes. Yeah, it just went too fast. Man. Yeah, it went so fast. 
but we we dug in a lot and we covered a lot of bases and answered a lot of questions and uh, showed some history behind it all. Uh, let's go ahead and thank our sponsors and uh, then we'll get into our final segment, which is bridging the gap. And I think it's it's going to fit perfect in today's conversation. Absolutely. So we definitely would like to thank Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the IMWE Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sema Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. Uh, we're available at youtube.com slash abolition today. We're also available on all magic major uh, podcast platforms and we're simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become a part of the solution. As Max already stated, beginning next week, we'll be into po- Poetry Month. We're closing out Women's History Month. Is it Women's History Month or is it Women's yes. Month? Women's History, History Month. Month. Okay, and we were thankful for uh, Tina Wyatt for coming on and speaking of her great ancestor, Harriet Tubman, and the many other women that we've uh, showcased this month. We had Sojourner Truth uh, and I, woman, last month, uh, last week, and we also had uh, Cicely Tyson. We had a couple of things going on this month. Maya Angelou. So we're grateful to all of the women, our mothers, our wives, our grandmothers, our daughters, our sisters. So we're definitely grateful to the women. We're going to get into our bridging the gap. It's uh, William Lloyd Garrison, addressed to the slaves of the United States, followed by Robert Ojeda, uh, Wailing Souls, Mother and Child Reunion. Until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. I want to be on the magic platform. Peace. <laughs> Abolition. 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 Addressed to the slaves of the United States. William Lloyd Garrison, June 2nd, 1843. Take courage. Be filled with hope and comfort. Your redemption draws nigh, for the Lord is mightily at work in your behalf. Is it not frequently the darkest before daybreak? The word has gone forth that you shall be delivered from your chains, and it has not been spoken in vain. Although you have many enemies, yet you have also many friends, warm, faithful, sympathizing, devoted friends, who will never abandon your cause, who are pledged to do all in their power to break your chains, who are laboring to effect your emancipation without delay, in a peaceable manner, without the shedding of blood, who regard you as brethren and countrymen, and fear not the frowns or threats of your masters. They call themselves abolitionists. They have already suffered much in various parts of the country for rebuking those who keep you in slavery, for demanding your immediate liberation, for revealing to the people the horrors of your situation, for boldly opposing a corrupt public sentiment by which you are kept in the great southern prison house of bondage. Some of them have been beaten with stripes, Others have been stripped and covered with tar and feathers. Others have had their property taken from them, burnt in the streets. Others have had large rewards offered by your masters for their seizure. Others have been cast into jails and penitentiaries. Others have been mobbed and lynched with great violence. Others have lost their reputation and been ruined in their business. Others have lost their lives. 
all these and many other outrages of equally grievous kind they have suffered for your sakes and because they are your friends they cannot go to the south to see and converse with you face to face for so ferocious and bloody-minded are your taskmasters they would be put to ignominious death as soon as discovered besides it is not yet necessary that they should incur this peril for it is solely by the aid of the people of the north that you are held in bondage and therefore they find enough to do at home to make the people hear your friends and to break up all connection with the slave system. They have proved themselves to be truly courageous and sensible to danger, superior to adversity, strong in principle, invincible in argument, animated by the spirit of impartial benevolence, unwearied in devising ways and means for your deliverance, the best friends of the whole country, the noblest champions of the human race. Ten years ago, they were so few and feeble as only to excite universal contempt. Now they number in their ranks hundreds of thousands of people. Then they had scarcely a single anti-slavery society in operation. Now there are thousands. Then they had only one or two presses to plead your cause. Now they have multitudes. They are scattering all over the land their newspapers, books, pamphlets, tracts, and other publications to hold up to infamy the conduct of your oppressors and to awaken the sympathy in your behalf. They are continually holding anti-slavery meetings in all parts of the free states to tell people the story of your wrongs. Wonderful has been the change effected in public feeling under God through their instrumentality. Do not fear that they will grow weary in your service. They are confident of success in the end. They know the Lord Almighty is with them, that truth, justice, right are with them, that you are with them. They know, too, that your masters are cowardly and weak through conscious wrongdoing and already beginning to falter their course. Lift up your heads, O ye despairing slaves. Yet a little while and your chains shall snap asunder and you shall be tortured and plundered no more. Then fathers and mothers your children shall be yours to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Then husbands and wives, now torn from each other's arms, you shall be reunited in the flesh, and man shall no longer dare to put asunder those whom God has joined together. Then, brothers and sisters, you shall be sold to the remorseless slave speculator no more, but dwell together in unity. God hasten that joyful day is now the daily prayer of millions. The weapons with which the abolitionists seek to effect your deliverance are not bowie knives, pistols, swords, guns, or any other deadly implements. They consist of appeals, warnings, rebukes, arguments and facts, addressed to the understandings, consciences, and hearts of the people. Many of your friends believe that not even those who are oppressed, whether their skins are white or black, can shed the blood of their oppressors in accordance with the will of God, while many others believe that it is right for the oppressed to rise and take their liberty by violence, if they can secure it in no other manner. But they, in common with all your friends, believe that every attempt at insurrection would be attended with disaster and defeat on your part, because you are not strong enough to contend with the military power of the nation. Consequently, their advice to you is to be patient, long-suffering, and submissive, yet a while longer, trusting that by the blessing of the Most High on their labors, 
you will yet be emancipated without shedding a drop of your master's blood or losing a drop of your own. The abolitionists of the North are the only true and unyielding friends on whom you can rely. They will never deceive nor betray you. They have made your cause their own, and they mean to be true to themselves and to you, whatever may be the consequence. They are continually increasing in number, in influence, in enterprise, and determination, and judging from the success which has already attended their measures, they anticipate that, in a comparatively short period, the entire North will receive you with open arms and give you shelter and protection as fast as you escape from the South. We who now address you are united with them in spirit and design. We glory in the name of abolitionists, for it signifies friendship for all who are pining in servitude. We advise you to seize every opportunity to escape from your masters, and fixing your eyes on the North Star, travel on until you reach a land of liberty. You are not the property of your masters. God never made one human being to be owned by another. Your right to be free at any moment is undeniable, and it is your duty, whenever you can, peaceably, to escape from the plantations on which you are confined and assert your manhood.
Abolition today. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.